Hey, Redeem family. Thank you so much for joining us for Redeem Online Message this week. Hey, before I begin, I want to just do a couple of announcements. The first one is that life groups are starting September 12th, the week of September 12th. If you are not currently in a life group and you're in the local area, we encourage you to get into a life group. Discipleship and deep discipleship happens in community, not just Sunday mornings, not just Saturday nights, not just watching online, but really getting in to community. So you can go to redeem.church and you can sign up for a life group and we'll try to get you plugged into the best group for you. All right, I'm going to jump in. And as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about how important coaches are to me. Now, I I read a lot and I uh, study a lot, but really I can look at the best business thinkers or I can look at the best psychologists or the best uh, philosophical minds or the best TED Talks, but I always have an appreciation for reading and listening to coaches. Coaches have a unique perspective, right? They, they, They not only have to lead a team and have the spotlight on them, but they have to focus on the whole area of our lives and of leading the team. So they they look at things like leadership and hard work and determination and dedication and and teamwork and all these things, and the list could go on and on, but coaches have a unique perspective of how to lead things. And one of my favorite coaches, even though I hate the UCLA Bruins, I don't know if anybody else is with me, is John Wooden. Now John Wooden grew up in Indiana. I have to mention Indiana in every one of my sermons. But he's also a Christian, but he did one of the most amazing things that many people think will never happen again. He won 10 championships out of 12 years. He won 10 national championships in college basketball in 12 years. It's incredible. And so I have this old CD, this book on CD that I used to listen to all the time, and I'm going to refresh myself and listen to it again. But listening to John Wooden and the wisdom that he has on this book on tape. If you have never listened to John Wooden or read John Wooden, I highly encourage you to get into some John Wooden. Now, he has legendary one-liners after one-liners. But one of the things that I love the most about him is his definition of success. He says, success is peace of mind that is the direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. Now, one of the things that John Wooden was, the, was most known for was his attention to the little things and his attention to how hard we worked in practice, how hard people worked in practice. Not your natural ability, but rather did you practice and did you give your whole heart so that you live up to the best that you are capable of becoming. Now, he was obsessed with details and he did crazy things. Like the first practice, the first thing that they did was he taught them how to put on socks properly. That was like the big thing. They had to put on their socks properly, put on their shoes and tie their shoes properly. They had to check their fingernails to make sure that they were cut properly. This is the attention to detail that he had. But he also was obsessed with intense practices where everyone would be giving their whole heart for the team. Now, as I talk about this, I want you to think about, and I'm sure you all have them, whether it's a coach or a teacher or a music, musical teacher or a sensei or whatever it looks like. What it, uh, I want you to think about a coach in your life and the advice that they gave you 
and, that, and, and how important it was for the development of the best version of you. Now that's what sermon series we're in. We're in the sermon series, the best version of you, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to talk about the most impactful coach in my life, which was in fifth grade, basketball, Coach Pritchard. I don't know if you're going to be watching this, Coach Pritchard, but one of the most impactful guys in my life. And I vividly remember my fifth grade year, him saying that our word for this year was tenacity. Now, as a fifth grader, I had no idea what the word tenacity was. But of course, it means determination or grit or getting things uh, with intensity. And he defined it as giving your whole heart, giving your whole heart. And he'd yell at us throughout the practice, tenacity, tenacity, give your whole heart, give your whole heart. And it was ingrained in me that that's what it looked like. And after each practice, he would say, did you give your whole heart to this practice? That was his definition of success. That was his uh, litmus test to are we living up to the best version? Did you give your whole heart into this practice? He knew that for each one of us, when it came to game time, when life got hard, when we were faced with challenges, when we weren't sure how we were going to actually succeed, he knew that it was important that these practices, we gave our whole heart so that we'd be ready for the, when the real deal came. And it was this blood and the sweat and the tears that no one saw that he knew mattered the most. For him, like John Wooden, he believed that the best version of us was not how we just performed during a game. It's did we live up to our abilities by living and practicing with our whole heart. And so today, the title of this sermon is The Inside Practices. The Inside Practices. This week, we're going to look at three spiritual practices. Oh, actually, we're going to look at two spiritual practices this week. And next week, we'll look at the last one that Jesus and what Jesus says about them. This week, we're going to look at the uh, giving to the poor and prayer. And next week, we're going to be doing a fast and looking at what Jesus says about fasting. Now, I really want you to lean into these three practices as we continue to grow in this value of being a spirit-led church. Again, we define that as seeing how the Father is moving around us and listening to the Spirit and doing what He says. But it's giving ourselves in time and talent and treasure, being fervent in prayer and fasting that was also going to be so key to what we look like as a community. You know, when we, when this last year, we did this thing called a transition team as we were looking at the future of Redeem. And in the transition team, it became clear that we actually should have called ourselves and we started calling ourselves the transformation team, the transformation team, because it's not about just transitioning or hanging on. It's rather saying if we were to transform this church into exactly what God wanted it to be, what would that look like? So the focus in our church, we were saying, okay, here's the four focuses that we have to be laser focused on because if we are successful at this, then God will be doing what he wants through us. Number one is weekly services. We have to be meeting together, right? It, we, we want the community back together so badly. And this has been a crazy time with COVID, but weekly services is so important for us to do. Number two, life groups and mentorship. It's, it's the number one thing to discipleship is getting into a life group, building on each other, and then also making sure that each one of us are getting mentored and that throughout the, throughout the body, we're figuring out how each one of us are meeting together and growing together. Number three is deep discipleship. 
getting real and getting right. Deep discipleship means that we're all growing, each one of us, the elder team, the advisor council, uh, life group leaders, the staff, every single one of us, kids, that we are in discipleship, that we understand that God wants to grow us and to lead us and that we come together and we are committed to discipling one another, but we are committed as individuals to be discipled. And number four is community impact, meeting people where they are at with the overwhelming love of Jesus. And so all these plans that we're going to have move forward on these four pillars, but we believe that when we do them, that we will be rocking on the plan that God has for us. But like we talk about every week, and I want to say it again, it's our individual lives, us changing on the inside that matter as much as anything that the church does. You becoming the best version of you is really what God has in mind for us as a church. So as we talk about these three spiritual practices, giving to those in need, prayer, and next week fasting, I want you to introspect a little bit. How are you doing on these practices? And like my old coach said, in these practices, are you giving your whole heart? In these practices, are you giving your whole heart? Ask yourself that as we go in and we dig in. For us as believers, when it's game time, when things get hard, when life becomes a challenge, it's in these practices that we will find that our heart changes and that when we draw closer to the living God, that we are ready to take on anything that comes our way. But something has happened in our society, and I actually blame Allen Iverson. <laughs> I don't know. I don't actually blame Allen Iverson. I think he was just reflecting the society when he said this famous quote in 2002. He said this famous line, practice? Are we talking about practice? We're not even talking about a real game here. When he held out for the Philadelphia 76ers, and he, he went after the media because they were holding him accountable to him just showing up to practice. It's a funny clip, but for my generation and the next generation, it's an attitude that's driving us. It's an attitude that's driving us. We want all the glory, but not doing any of the hard work, none of the practices. We're, we want all the glory. We want people to notice us. We want people to see us as a success, but the inside, we're so messed up and we're not doing any of the inner work. That's the risk that we find. And we're going to see that for Jesus, it's not just the practices, but it's about the motivation and our hearts being right why we do these practices. So let's jump in and see what God says. Starting at Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now it's an important note here. Throughout his time, on earth, Jesus point, is pointing to his father, followers and his disciples on how to live the best life that he can, right? Of course, he's telling us how to live, but also he's going after the religious leaders and he's saying to his disciples and his followers, the ways they have seen faith and how they have practiced was not the right way to go about it. You know, Marty and Eddie talked about this the last two weeks. They had the, this, this famous line, it's been said, but I tell you. As we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's been said, but I tell you. It's these important shifts that Jesus is saying, this is how you are to think about your life and about faith. The whole Sermon on the Mount, again, 
is him declaring this new way of thinking, becoming citizens of heaven, and him, uh, him saying this is what the upside down kingdom looks like. So for this, he's saying, be careful not to practice your righteousness. And for the Jewish people, giving the poor prayer and fasting were three pillars of Jewish piety. So these practice righteousness would have made sense to them. But the big shift is him saying, in front of people, don't do it to be seen by them. We'll see this throughout, uh, throughout these, that Jesus is saying, Pharisees, Sadducees, everyone else, maybe some of us that are, uh, are watching this, maybe even myself, is saying, hey, we live, when you live this religious first, look at me mentality, that is not what God is calling us to. Again, I'll say this again. We are not called to live this religious-based, look-at-me faith. That is not what God's calling us to. Now, this, this, this verse ties directly to Matthew 5.20. It says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, of course, we receive righteousness because of what Jesus himself is going to do later, where he gives his life on the cross. For all of us who believe, we're now in right standing with God because of this unwarranted, unbelievable grace that we don't deserve, but that Jesus does it. And we enter into this righteousness. But Jesus in Matthew 6 is telling us that we are to live a life of upstanding and practice righteousness. Just make sure that we're doing it for one simple reason. For God only. That's the only reason that we're supposed to do these practices. Do not do it for pride. Do not do it for show. Don't do it to look good. For there is no reward for that. It tells us that. You know, Jesus, uh, later Jesus is going to call out this way of living even more. He calls out the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And, and I think many of us can fall into a trap of some of this living. Matthew 23, 1-7. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They put on their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. What is he saying here to him? He's saying that their life doesn't match what they preach. They tell others what to do, but they don't do it themselves. Everything they do is done for people to see them. They worry about where to sit or their significance within a, within a community. You know, many of us may say, you know, I'm so far from that, but I want to caution us that maybe we aren't. You know, there's this, there's this thing called Instagram faith, uh, Facebook faith, some people call it. It's Instagram faith. And what is this? It's this idea that I'm going to put out my faith on Instagram so everyone knows how holy I am. Now, it's fine to... To, to share out, the, and it's a great place to witness, but it's the heart and the motive that we're looking at. 
When, when, when we start to say, my faith and my devotional time really is summed up to looking for memes with Bible verses, then digging on the inside and digging into the Word, when it's all about how many people like this, this religious post that I did, rather than, God, what are you calling me to? How are you calling me to live? It's, it, it, when we look at how many followers we have or how many followers are looking at us, this can be rampant in the church. This is going to be rampant in the next generation. And Jesus is telling us over and over again, be careful not to do it so that other people take notice. Be careful that you're doing it with your whole heart, with your intention, that it's only about God. But Jesus is telling us in Matthew 6 and here in 23, living your best life, fully living for what I have for you, not what man thinks of you. Don't flaunt your religion to worry about, about these things that don't matter, but focus only on God. Now let's move forward here in, in Matthew 6, and we're going to pull out the first parts of different verses. So Matthew 6, 2, 5, and 16. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with the trumpets. Verse 5. And when you pray, don't do it like hypocrites. And verse 16. When you fast. Now, the reason I pulled those out is because the, that for us as disciples of Jesus, he's not saying if you do these things, he's saying when you do these things. These are not optional. For us as believers, these practices are part of our regular life. These are not op optional. Giving to the poor, prayer and fasting, these things should be part of our regular rhythms. And Jesus says that so much. Tied back to verse 1, these are our acts of righteousness. As citizens of heaven, these are what we do. These are what we do. Jesus is not here to make an argument on whether or not we do these. He's focused instead on the how and the why that we do these practices. He's saying the how is what matters. He's saying God knows your heart and rewards you because of the why you do them. The why you do them. What you do is not enough. It's the how and the why. He's going to say this over and over and over again in these passages. That for those who are motivated by pride, a deep desire for others to see them, you know, to recognize them, that there's no room for God in that. Our insides aren't right is what he's going to say. We might be doing the right things. But the right things aren't happening on the inside. And that's what God cares so deeply about. So let's keep reading in Matthew 6, 2-4. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Giving to the poor is so important to us as believers to carry out this mission. This mission that God has for us to be kingdom people, to be citizens of heaven. This is something we have to be about. But someone giving with the wrong heart is not what God desires. It may look like we're doing the right things for God, but Jesus is saying again, it's all about the heart and giving to the poor and giving to the church. 
and giving to uh, how the church operates and how the church spends the money that we have, this kingdom money, it's all about our heart. It's not to, to look at me, look at me, but it's rather saying, God, and this is back to being spirit-led, Father, where are you moving? Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do? And how do we do it in secret? So that, our, so that it's, it's all about us being, yes, a cheerful giver, yes, generous people, but we're moved by God and the love of God to give, and that's all the motivation that matters. Now, jump into to prayer. You know, we did this 24-7 prayer. I was so proud. We did so much prayer as a church just last month. And God has honored it and is moving in some areas that we have asked him to move. And I'm excited to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But this is vital to our church culture. If we ended in that 24-7 prayer, we totally missed it. Because this is vital for us as a church. It's vital for our, all churches. It's not just all church, our church. But really being prayerful. We should not have any other plan than this. As individuals, as families, as life groups, corporately, we are just in prayer asking the Lord, where do you desire us to go? Who do you desire us to reach out to? How do you desire us to live? Lord, give us wisdom and clarity as we move forward. In Matthew 6, 5 through 6, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners or be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, I don't think we have a, a culture of this in our church. I, I don't, I haven't seen it. I, I haven't seen like, you know, Dave Meikle out in the street corners yelling at people and, and praying. I, Dave, if you do that, my apologies, bro. But, you know, uh, this is something we do need to pay attention to because there's this intimacy that God's calling us to. And when we really dig into it, Jesus is saying in a secret, quiet place where we can be intimate with God is where he desires us to be most. When we pray to enter into that secret place, with him. And I think that's a real challenge. I think, I think the real challenge here is that we don't have solitude in our lives. We might pray as we're on the go. We might be praying as we're listening to something. We might be praying as the TV's on. We might be praying as people are running in and out of our house. But God here is desiring solitude, and we do not have solitude in our life. You know, I read this in my study, and I think it was so good. The answer to pride and to phoniness is solitude and attentiveness to God. I want to read that again. The answer to pride and phoniness, Jesus is saying it here, is solitude and attentiveness to God. You know, last week at, at our service, I loved it. Liz came up before worship and she just felt like she had a word and it was, it was awesome. And she said, uh, 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 this past month, she's felt more like a, a, a Martha than a Mary and that she desires intimacy so much that she's been doing good things for God, that she's been going after the right things. It's, it's not anything bad, but she just wanted to be in the presence of the Lord because she just needed that presence. And many of us are there, but we don't enter into this level of prayer. And the promise here is so important. The Father who is unseen sees what's done in secret, and we are rewarded for that. His approval, not man's approval. Now, one more point on prayer. Matthew 6, 7 through 8. And when you pray, 
Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of the many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And when it's talking about the babbling here, the pagans, people who don't believe in the Father, God, Abba, Yahweh, the all-knowing, ever-present, active, living God, they have to use many words. That's what it's saying here. Because they have to convince a God. They have, and I use small g here. They have to manipulate a God. They have to be anxious because they don't know what they need. You know, I've been watching this show. I don't know if anybody's watched it, but there's a show called Alone. It's crazy. Uh, Ten people go up into the Arctic Circle, and they have to, they, the, the challenge is to live, which is an axe and a bow and arrow. I would not last 24 hours, but they have to live for 100 days. They have to live for 100 days. One, I, I won't ruin it, but you, you get to watch these people survive. They have to build their own, uh, their own tent and shack. It's incredible. And they, and they basically, the interesting thing that I've noticed on this is that th- these people are kind of whacked out. They, they pray to uh, the, the lake. They pray, one guy was praying to his daughter who was back home to provide fish. They have to pray to these gods and they have to talk. They talk and stuff like that because many of them, and I, I think some of them d- did believe in Jesus, but many of them, they had this, this, this idea that this mother nature controlled things. And so they had to manipulate gods. They had to convince a God to give them. But when we address the one true God, the God who already knows our needs, the one who cannot be manipulated, and the, the loving Father who there's no need to manipulate him because he desires good things for us, that's the challenge. He's saying that enter into solitude and the Father already knows what you need. Come into intimacy. Be with the Father the one who is good, the one who is the one true God. And with boldness and confidence, we get to enter in with the living God, our Father. Now, I want to end here with with a challenge. So we talked about giving to the poor and we talked about prayer. I, I challenge you this week, of course, to enter into prayer like never before. But I also want to challenge you to, to fast. Now, whenever churches in my history i've noticed churches sometimes like throw on like 21 day fast or 14 day fast or they they make it this this big thing the other way that they do it is they say fast something i don't i don't want you to do that i want to challenge you to fast food this week and the reason i want to do it is that as we talk about fasting next week instead of talking about fasting and then challenging you to fast i want you to fast and come into the fasting sermon understanding what god did within you so one day this week, that's all we're asking, one day this week, to fast from food. It might be from dinner to dinner. It might be eat your last dinner and then eat the next dinner. It doesn't have to be too much. We're not trying to challenge you in some crazy fast, but one day fast. Our staff will be doing it. I'm challenging all of our leadership team to do it, but you will be amazed at what happens. Uh, Wednesday, I think many people are fasting. It doesn't have to be that day. I think we're going to be doing some prayer stuff, but fast one day this week and I want you to enter into this last this last sermon of of these three practices understanding what fasting can do now as we end I want to end with this prayer because Jesus says when you pray do this thing right go into the secret room don't use a lot of words and so I want to commission us out as we read the rest Matthew 6 9 through 13 so bow your head with me 
This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, today, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.